Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with podcast, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. Whoa. <laughs> Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Maddie Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Kyle Meredith, and I host an interview series called Kyle Meredith With, where I talk to legendary musicians, up-and-coming artists, and whatever that is in between. I dive deep into the making of new albums, stories behind songs, but also things like how is Moby connected with the CIA, and did the Decemberists really thank Robert Mueller in their liner notes, and seeing which band I can get to reunite. Will it be Zeppelin, Genesis, Roxy Music, or Pavement? You've got to listen to find out. It's Kyle Meredith with from WFPK Independent Louisville and the Consequence Podcast Network. Consequence Podcast Network. There is a podcast that is a world unto itself. A podcast as boundless as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the place between light and shadow. Science Science and superstition. superstition. It lies between the pit of humankind's fears and the summit of our knowledge. No, your ears don't deceive you. You're not not imagining imagining things. This is that podcast. You've entered the fifth dimension. Greetings, travelers. I'm your host, Michael Rothman, editor-in-chief of Consequence of Sound, and once again, we're here with another misadventure in Jordan Peele's revival of The Twilight Zone for CBS All Access. Today, we're talking about The Blue Scorpion, written by Glenn Morgan and directed by Craig William McNeil. But before we head up to Canada with Neil Young, let's introduce our own band. And uh, and by band, I mean my co-hosts with me in the zone, starting with... On bass, this is Jeff Mellis, editorial director of Consequence of Sound. Oh. And I love him more than all of you guys. <laughs> love you more than me. Yeah. Is that the inverse of it, isn't it? Yeah. No. Oh, it is. Okay. I love me more than well, who, you. <laughs> well, who's to my right? Uh, this is Samantha Kuykendall, a social media specialist for CPN Network. And um, having said that, I would like to point out that our Instagram you know, is doing really well. So I'd like to thank the followers for all your interactions with us um, and the messages we've been getting. So we appreciate your feedback. Mm. Yeah, it's been fun. I've been liking all the the black and white imagery. I think it's, uh, you were doing black and white before this revival was doing exactly. black and white. Exactly. I are have there, an aesthetic going. Are yeah. there pictures of us? None of there. us. No, well, okay. We have like so a little side thing so well. <laughs> of like us, like with the host, like pictures of us and our bios on it, but like uh, okay. no pictures of us. Yeah. Well, mm. you know. And who do we have across the wires and into the zone, the South Zone? <laughs> this is Eleanor, and I live in Florida, where we have regular indigenous brown scorpions. <laughs> mm. 
Now, have you ever been bitten or come across a scorpion like on your leg or nearby? I've seen them out in the wild, but I haven't encountered one physically. <laughs> I can't remember if I've ever seen one. I've seen one at like zoos before. You know, like when you have like those sure. one room where they have all the insects in there and there's like a terrarium or something like that. I've seen a bunch on like Fear Factor. Mm. Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, the lizards are down there. They are everywhere. They'll show up in your house. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we just, Mike and I just got back from Florida and yeah. I had never been to Florida. And we walked out of his brother's apartment complex and this huge lizard ran by us. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is not normal at all. It was huge. It was like Jurassic Park. It is yeah. like Jurassic Park. It's like the ending of Jurassic Park, the book, when uh, they're like, they're chicken creatures. They've been spotted yeah, in that the woods. Oh, yeah, that's terrifying, little, Whatever they call it. Yeah. yeah. Was it an alligator? No, no alligators, thank God. No, yeah. Mm -hmm. We heard some nasty mm -hmm. stories about some alligators while we were down there, though. Yeah. Reptiles, arachnids. I mean, this is why I couldn't live in Florida. <laughs> the thought of, like, you know, sharing my domicile with these and just, you know, waking up and seeing one on your bed or something. That was, I couldn't do it. <laughs> Oof. Well, what you can do is uh. Uh, read us our synopsis for this week's episode. Which is actually lizard and not scorpion, but lizard free. Mm. So, when anthropology professor Jeff Stork's father dies, Jeff comes into possession of a blue scorpion, a very rare and valuable handgun with the power to make his problems go away, but not in the way he expects. Ooh. Spooky. And it will be very spooky as we talk about the stars and souls. You walk into this room at your own risk because it leads to the future. Not a future that will be, but one that might be. This is not a new world. It is simply an extension of what began in the old one. Now, in this section, as we've been doing for nine episodes now, wow, this nine being the ninth, na lucky number nine, yeah. um, or nine times, or Revolution Nine, okay. the Beatles, <laughs> um, who would be uh, probably the band that the Jeff's dad would listen to, I would imagine, but... Um, as we do in this uh, section, we're talking about those who are behind the camera and those who are in front of the camera. Now, in this episode, we have another familiar writer. I think this is his third episode, I think, this uh, this season. I think, yeah. Um, Glenn Morgan. Yeah. Glenn. Glenn Morgan. The X-Files Glenn Morgan. What else did Glenn do? Glenn did A Traveler. Mm -hmm. Glenn did... Didn't he work on Six Degrees of, uh, of Freedom I or a little so. bit of it? Yeah, um, definitely. I yeah, think you're right. Collaborated one yeah. of uh -huh. Six Degrees of Freedom, and now we have Glenn in. Um, and then we have Glenn Morgan in this one, so. the Blue Scorpion, right? Yeah, yeah. the Blue Scorpion, <laughs> the memorable title. Mm -hmm. Eleanor, you're are you uh, are you a Glenn head? I'm always down for another shot of Glenn Morgan. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good way to put it too. Yeah. Like another shot, mm. you know, and especially when like it comes camera to camera shot. Yeah. Oh, that is like a camera shot. And who does the camera shots here? Director Craig William McNeil. Um, I was actually surprised to see that this director had done um, a lot. I had, did not recognize his name, but he's uh, directed uh, Lizzie, which was on uh, Shutter, which is currently on Shutter. I want to watch right it. It has Christina Ricci in it and Chloe Sevengi, I think. Oh, nice. Yeah. So nice. it looks. It looks pretty good. I like uh, Christina Christina Ricci from um, that show Pan Am. No, I'm just joking. Yeah. Oh, no, <laughs> um, Cursed. I was big on. Oh, Cursed. you're big on Cursed. I was huge with her with um, uh, Pumpkin. No, I'm mean, just. You mean Pugsley's sister? What yes, is exactly. It is Pugsley's yeah, sister. family. We all know her from there. Um, but he also directed episodes of Channel Zero and The Chilling Adventures of uh, Sabrina. Yeah. So, big oh, fan. Yeah. I think you all like it too, Eleanor. Don't you? I prefer Riverdale, but yeah, I'm sure. You have a lot to catch up on, uh, Samantha. I have 
have so much, yeah, because I still have uh, season three of Riverdale to catch up on as Oof. well. Oh my god, the ending of this season was incredible. I can't wait to talk about it with you when I watch it. <laughs> Do that first. Skip Twilight Zone. Let's just cancel the whole show. You got <laughs> you got things podcast. to do. This would be the time and place for it. What would you call the Riverdale podcast, though? Mm, we have to workshop that. I know. Yeah. I'll stew on that. Well, uh, did you get to see the last episode of Luke Perry? Yes. Oh. I mean, I mean, as far as I know. Do they do like a proper send off with him? Um, no, he's like out of town right now. God. Well, hey, speaking of the cast. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> um, awful transition. Awful transition. No, I'll give but, it to you, though. Okay. Um, well, before we get into the cast, I guess, what, what, what do we think about the um, the direction in this and the in the writing, uh, especially? I mean, we don't have to go too much in the writing because that goes into the story a little bit. But directing wise, like, I thought this is a pretty sh- sharp looking episode. I agree. As usual. I think every scene, especially the scenes when uh, they're in Jeff's father's house, mm-hmm. it almost looks like there's a sepia tone over mm-hmm. it or sepia. Is it sepia or sepia? Uh, it's sepia. Well, you know. I am not a photographer. Yeah, fuck, uh, I'll go fuck myself. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, I guess I'll go fuck myself. <laughs> Anyways, no, yeah, uh, it kind of had this like very like David Fincher wash to it. Uh, definitely, like know. Zodiac, mm-hmm. or like it felt very old, like what the new mm-hmm. Ted Bundy uh, movie tried to do. But still, was sort of the same lighting scheme. The way they used lamps, sort of, you know, yeah, oh, exactly. Just, uh, spotted around the. It fit in with the aesthetic of but, the show, yeah. but <laughs> felt like he made it his own a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of those like crisp shots outside. When he's near the lake, which looked oddly familiar, you know, it looked a lot like the lake that's in Nightmare at Thirty Thousand Feet. Oh, that lake features prominently in uh, Millennium several times. That lake? Oh, that lake? Yeah, another Glenn Morgan project. Oh wow! Ooh. So did they did they film this in like Vancouver then? They must have, because several of the actors were also in Millennium and everything else that's ever shot in Vancouver. I'm a huge fan of Vancouver era <laughs> X Files. Yeah, it's I, the best X Files. I, I thought that when it moved to the desert in LA in season six, um, and we could still talk about this because this is Glenn. Morgan. I just, I just feel like we should have staff at this point. So coming back from this, I should be like, what? Oh, they did film in Vancouver actually. Yeah, and I was checking this. I mean, we're nine episodes in, um, and we're still it's a do-it-yourself operation. Yeah, well, I, I love Vancouver, and I thought that the they capture. The sort of gray elements of it uh, here, and I think I, c- I can see why a lot of productions go to Vancouver just because of the the environment and the weather. Um, water, well, and does especially it- for sci-fi or like scary stuff, it has this kind of spooky aura yeah. to it, um, just like the X Files does, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything looked like overcast in this episode when it, you know, even when it was kind of towards its like brighter elements even yeah exactly even when it's like sunny in the office when he's talking with the divorce lawyer and his ex-wife yeah. you, it just has this kind of like fade over it yeah there was another good um eyeball lamp in the divorce lawyer office also where it, it's up above it looks like it's looking down on them Ooh. yeah it was it was really eerie like a lot of the a lot of, it was very cramped um in this episode well you the could, apartment is super cramped yeah like you could tell his dad was a bit of a pat rat or uh, mm-hmm. Was this, almost, this wasn't maybe a, a, a trailer, but almost like a mobile home, I'm it guessing. It seems like Like it. a spec house at the time. Because yeah. yeah. it, it was that very small living room and then like a long hall going all the way back to the bedroom. So yeah. I assumed it was something like that. But well, it had uh, the wood paneling, too, all mm-hmm. throughout, uh, which is so 70s. And just the the house overall felt very of the 70s aesthetic. Well, it almost had this like parallel with the fear that the gun has, which we'll get into in a second. But like you know, the gun doesn't want any darkness and it almost feels as if he's kind of trapped in this zone sort of darkness in here, which he is. 
And uh, we'll go into that now as we talk about uh, the stars or the souls. I always do this every episode. You it's do. the same thing. Uh, yeah. So uh, we got Dep Dr. Jeffrey Stork, uh, played by Chris O'Dowd, who's been in pretty much every comedy over the last 10 years. Bridesmaids. Yeah. IT crowd. <laughs> I, I actually really like uh, Chris O'Dowd a lot. And I think it's kind of cool that he's starting to branch out and do some um other different roles here. Um, well, I feel like this season as a whole has tried to take comedic actors and give them a chance to do something a little different or more serious. So range. I mean, we've had Kumail Nanjiani. We've had uh, Tracy Morgan in the same episode. Even John Cho is a bit of a, you know, com with Harold and Kumar. Like, we've seen a lot of, and I, I believe Seth Rogen's supposed to be in an episode, which I'm assuming is next week. Yeah. But mm -hmm. we've seen a lot of comedians in this series. I mean, Jordan Peele himself started as a comedian um so it's interesting to see these actors take a more dramatic or like approach to acting yeah, yeah. you know and i think most have held their own you know i'll start over i think most have held their own unless sort of the material or the tone of the directions let them down mm -hmm. too yeah and i thought he did doubt it was is that his actual yeah, accent too? i was curious that's yeah. his accent that's yeah. his accent too yeah. okay yeah and he was also in uh, incredible jessica james with jessica williams who was in Six Degrees of Freedom. Exactly. Oh. Hmm. oh it's all coming together. Degrees, yeah. <laughs> and uh, let's just say that uh, Dowd was also in outer space in uh, last year's um, Miserable, The Cloverfield Paradox. Uh, mm. he, wow. he indulges in a little body horror in that one. So, uh, so all right. So what do we know about Jeff here? You know, we've you, you did a great synopsis this week. Loved it, Matt. Um, but let's just say Jeff Free Stork is having a pretty shit time. Why? Well, right now he's just, he's separated with his wife and we find out she's getting ready to file for a divorce. Worse, he wants to go to couples therapy, but they can't go back because she's fallen in love with, yes, another Jeff. Could there be anything more horrible than that? Oof, Your awful. ex calling someone else Jeff. by your name, Jeff. Jeff? Especially <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yes. Um, but anyway, so he's got that going on. He's also obviously the first thing we see is he walks in and he finds that his father um, apparently has committed suicide. So Jeff's hard up for money. He's going through a divorce. Um, he's it may lost be, his dad. It may be the one person right now who's sort of on his side and supporting him yeah. from what we can tell. Yeah. Uh, has just, you know, obviously bit the bullet not to... Um, he, well, I like that. Yeah, that he, not to bite the bullet, but and I think what's so uh, odd, obviously, about you know, aside from the fact that his dad killed himself, his dad was like a peace-loving, like '60s kind of hippy dippy, and who never like liked guns or had no. ever owned a gun. Mm -hmm. He was not familiar with them, so I think you know that's your first kind of step into something's not quite right. Yeah, like yeah. you get the the sense that Jeff would rather um, you know attribute his father more to Eric Clapton's my father's eyes wow. instead of my father's gun oh wow yeah. look that into was... my and i do i do like how they take you into this episode um some people might disagree but um the idea of you learn a lot early on he's um he's going through his father's old things you know packing things away he takes my out father's a, things he takes out <laughs> you know how else are you going to shoot the sheriff <laughs> and mike and michael rothman is the sheriff yeah, yes. no, that's the, the, the sheriff does come in though. Um, there is a there is a bullet that says Michael right now. Yeah. I guarantee you. And uh, troublemaker. Yeah, but anyway, no, I think I thought it was a uh, 
and interesting. I mean, most of these episodes have to give you a lot of information really quick, and they do that here both through um, uh, Jeff's eulogy of his father. You get a lot of information by he's just hanging out um, in the apartment, going through his things. He finds his old sort of hippie shirt with a heart on it, puts it on, which is kind of a tender music, and he's always playing his father's music. But honestly, yeah, like... Which, his... again, is that... Which is like, you know, that's basically like his father in the root with him and his father's no like average hippie like he he was like he performed with the grateful dead uh he protested vietnam war by going to yeah. canada with neil young he was at both what i think woodstock i Mon- know uh, oh, monterey pop festival then the glenn, pop and then glenn watkins which those are like two festivals that basically invented festivals so if anyone's so. going to like you know have a gun kill himself not this guy exactly yeah so eleanor what happens with this gun and how is it bad news for Jeff? Uh, it gets set off to evidence and then returned back to him. And that's when it becomes trouble. Trouble with the capital T. Yeah. But I do wonder if there's like an evidence processor who's like, oh, fuck this gun again. Jesus, I've got to go kill someone else with my name. <laughs> and I wonder, is that how that works? When does a murder weapon eventually get returned after it's no longer evidence well, or a, it wasn't a murder yeah. weapon? Because it wasn't a murder case. weapon. No, it was a suicide weapon. And yeah. I think because it, it could be, you know, interpreted as like maybe an heirloom or something, you mm-hmm. know, like look at this gun. It Like, I think that the um, uh, Bob Jeff, the gun dealer that he eventually calls, tells him that only five people have owned this gun. Seven, yeah. Seven? Okay. I don't know how I know that. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry to correct you. I've watched but... the episode twice. <laughs> Anyways. Um, I uh, So I think that, like, probably the police were like, oh, this is probably really... I think if it were a murder weapon, maybe not, but because it's a suicide and it's his uh, father's gun, I mean, I knew the there's a back. Yeah, I knew there's a chain of evidence, that sort of thing. I know there's an evidence locker, but I just never thought about, like, people sending back weapons that have killed people to I get the mine family. all of the time, man. Is that how? Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. I, like, you, you have a lot of cousins, ago, so you've got a bigger knife. family than me, so... Well, I I'm still waiting for my Bowie knife, but you know, and it not only is it a real Bowie knife, but it also has an etching of Bowie on it. So mm. David Bowie. Um, so it's a Bowie Bowie knife. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And it's what was used to kill David Bowie. Oh God, that's oh, a sick God. joke. What Mine. are we? Joke. And I love, I love, I love Bowie. I know. Okay. What are we stumbling upon in oh, the Twilight Zone? I never know. <laughs> it's okay. He's not really dead. It's fine. He's immortal. He is immortal. I still think we all got to count the three and take a deep breath at this point and get back on pace. Well, here, I I got us on pace. I got a good seg. Uh, We just talked about David Bowie, dead rock star. Here's another dead rock star reference. Uh, In (laughs) Jeff's father's closet, he opens up a vault. He finds a a heart-shaped box. (laughs) Kurt Cobain. Wow. Uh, Nirvana. Uh, Ever heard of it? Ever- <laughs> um, but it, what does he find in this box? This is this is actually kind of cool. Cause I actually like this sort of um, uh, mystery that they have here. Because this does feel very old school Twilight Zone. Tonight. And this is probably my favorite part of the whole episode. Is when you kind of learn about the gun and mm-hmm. its origins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, he finds a gun within, or I mean, on it, he finds the bullets that have been finds the left sleeve. over. Yeah, the sleeve of bullets um, in this weird, like, compartment in the back of his dad's closet that's, like, looks like a safe, but he doesn't have to put a code in or anything to open it. Yeah. It just opens up. And of course, it's it's mm-hmm. very lit because, as we know, the blue scorpion enjoys, you know, the it lights. It lets his light in. Um, and he takes the uh, bullet casings out and grabs one. And what should appear but his name in mm. blue font. Now, here's where I got confused on this, and mm-hmm. I still am for the most part in this entire episode. After he gets 
the 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 one lone bullet and that sleeve that's looks so sexy in that heart-shaped box he goes to school the next day and everyone starts saying his name or he hears his name there's the dog's name the, the you know that has the same name as him there's somebody that has jeff 19 on the back of their you know jersey hashtag yeah. king's dominion <laughs> eleanor what do you make of this jet like the the jeff connotations here because i didn't really get anything out of it i mean i think he's just hyper aware and then it was interpreted in a comedic way he's suddenly aware of all these jeffs in the world it's because he's so worried about this bullet that's burning a hole in his pocket. He's like, oh, my God. It's the old, it's the old saying, you have a bullet with your name on it. And one, one thing we, he doesn't see earlier on is he doesn't see that his father, whose name is Otis, the bullet that killed him, the casing had Otis on it. Mm. And then it vanishes once, you know, he passes away and the gun, you know, the gun's taken away. So, you know, Jeff, maybe if Jeff had seen that, you know. Um, at this point, Jeff really doesn't know what that means, but he's got to assume he's got to assume something pretty freaky. When imagine that your your dad um, has killed himself, you you get his gun, and the only bullet there has your name on it. That yeah. has to, especially when he got that weird message, yeah. which was again what I said earlier. I love him more than you. Um, that's so what do you a make of that? Strange thing. Well, um, Jeff's character, he says to himself, he's like, am I the you or am I the him? Because you'd Mm -hmm. be left to wonder, like, is this note for someone else? Is Mm -hmm. it like, I love him, my son, more than you? Or is it towards his son that I love it more than you? So Mm -hmm. it could be interpreted both ways. It's got to be your bull. Um, (laughs) 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 Um, But the butcher, no, it's got to be your butcher. It takes the butcher to get the head up, whatever. It's your bull, Um, but... Eleanor, what do you make of that note? Maybe Otis is saying, I love him, my son, Jeff, more than you, the gun. Yeah, the the other way to read it, I think it could also be that the gun is saying, I love this person more than you. Because remember what his creator says, it loves you more than anyone else. It's going to help you out, make all your problems go away. So that's another way to read it, you know, is is that note from the gun itself. Yeah. It only it presents him, itself to someone that needs it, basically. Well, let's go into the history of that, because once he gets the gun from his wife, which I thought was a really f- weird scene because he goes to this house and, then, you know, she's kind of spooked out about it and, and mentions also key key fact here um, that there have been some break ins lately around the neighborhood. So she's mm-hmm. a little scared Killing when he walks into their old house together. Um, and she sent the gun because it goes back to his, his address. And, um, once he takes it back, that's where he finds the note and he calls up the gun superstore, which, uh, was input into his phone exactly that way with no spaces. Um, and reads the serial number, which is 1015. Ah, How about that? Can't we cut back to Wayne's world for one second and say, can we, Isn't, didn't that guy have a lot of information? Lot of, yeah. <laughs> this is, but here, seriously, he does, though, because once he gets the serial number, we find out that the gun is from, like, 1952. It's from Cuba. Cheva Guevara, like, was looking for that gun forever. It belonged to Eloyos Sanfuegos, um, wow. and, uh, who said, um, you don't find it, it finds you. Mm-hmm. A lot of little Yoda parallel, yeah. parallels and here. Maybe why the safe opened so easily. And yeah. later on, True. the safe won't close because yeah. the gun doesn't wow. want to be there. Matt. Same, well, again, the illusions, right? Exactly. The ring wants to find yeah. you. It doesn't want to stay hidden. Same deal. And, it, and we find out that the legend is the blue scorpion is afraid of the dark. Um, and then we also find out that the pawn dealer's name is Jeff. <laughs> Bob <laughs> Jeff. His last name is Jeff. First yeah. name, Bob. Yeah. So We also find out that the gun superstore is, dot com is in Earliesville, Virginia. Like replay. Oh, interesting. 
That's creepy. And they also included the zip code, which was the same zip code as Charlottesville, Virginia, just in case there was any doubt that Earliesville was supposed to be Charlottesville. It's confirmed. Oh, my God. Those are some deep, <laughs> deep, deep research. Wow. Jeez. That's amazing. Um, oh, yeah. What, what happens to the gun when he's on the phone call? It spontaneously goes off. As soon as he says, I want to get rid of this bloody thing, mm-hmm. it goes off, right? So, again, this gun, as, as Bob Jeff told us, who, again, knows quite a bit about this gun, yeah. uh, just for a random person you called up. Yeah. Uh, this gun, for the legend has it, this gun finds you, not the other way around. Yeah. So. Yeah. So... Anyway, what, what 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 is Jeff going on here? Because like, he goes from here. We find out that you know we go we go to class with him. You know, he, we find out that his one of his students. I thought this was a very <laughs> you know perfunctory scene, but it was it was an interesting debate that I I appreciated from Glenn uh, Morgan. Really, what, what, the thesis that she doesn't want to do anymore. I, I animism get that. is that yeah. how you say it? Animism. Yeah. Animism. Okay. Yeah. Animism. Did anyone know what that is before? Uh, I had no idea before this episode. I didn't know, but yeah, animism comes up a lot in twilight zone and i feel like this was an opportunity where they corrected it and recognized anthropomorphism which apparently is more accurate to the twilight zone i didn't think we needed it you know i thought it was a pretty painful it's, couple of minutes that we didn't need we already figured out that the gun has sort of like any other object that comes into the twilight zone right that's a little magical yeah it has a life or a mind of its own right? yeah yeah it's definitely convenient although just the idea of that being a fear and you know this student of his just being terrified of going home to any of her objects and that changing or leaving her thesis them alone would like fucking make the fear go away. Yeah, like that yeah. makes any like you're, the fear is still there. It's been implanted. You know what this you know this is, but you think that changing your paper's thesis is going to get rid of the fear just because yeah. you won't be writing so about it yeah, anymore. So you're not afraid of the home invader. You're afraid. Imagine how terrible that'd be. You're afraid of just your su- shoes or your socks or something coming to life or talking about you behind your back or something exactly. like that. Exactly. Eleanor, what would be the scariest thing that you leave home every day? I really do check the uh, the stove every day before I leave. I touch the knobs to make sure they're off. <laughs> what about like um, like belts or, or like yo-yo or... Mm. Um, like true inanimate objects? Yeah, like things that are just going to like sit around that you're like, oh no, what are they going to do when they're... I, I mean, I've, I've legit had this... Thought. So have I. Yeah, but they're all together. So I didn't really see what her problem was because they're all together. So they're not going to be lonely. They're going to have a great time while you're gone. They have a whole house to hang out. She wasn't with. really afraid of them attacking her. She was afraid of them, you know, being sad or lonely. Yeah, but there's the whole Pixar movies about this. They're going to be fine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Seriously. We paid millions are, of dollars yeah. to go see these. Stoves movies. are fucking terrifying, though. I mean, they look like they have a mouth and eyes they with do. the knobs, yeah. and, uh, and they can burn your house down. It's like in um, Home Alone when he's down in the basement and uh, you know the burner, the mm-hmm. furnace. Yeah. My yeah. mom used to scare me by making the stove talk. Don't yeah. touch me. You'll burn yourself, Matt. I. This is actually a weird, random story, but. I'll throw it in there. When I was younger, um, we had a VHS tape that was like family photos that had been put together in a movie that would just be a bunch of photos that were placed. And for me, it was always spooky because there's something about the music that they used in it that always just kind of like triggered me in weird ways. And I remember there was one photo that was a part of this like revolving family photo ensemble. And it showed um, my uncle with like an old bunny rabbit doll. And I remember while watching it, I was looking also at the hallway where my my where my room was, where I had my own sort of bunny dolls and stuff like that. And I was so terrified that the bunny like was just going to be standing there in the doorway. 
and it's something that's like stuck with me for like 10 to 15 years and i mm. and it's like this harmless family tape and i never watched it ever again i treated it like mm. the fucking tape in the ring and i don't well now you know what i feel like when i crash on your couch and there's a six foot cutout of kyle mclaughlin oh, yeah. sitting there yeah, right stand for twin peaks standing there and Every time I wake up, you know, every half hour, it's a little bit closer to yeah. me and a little bit closer. At least I think it is. Oh, I used to move. <laughs> well, I used to move I it around in the the living room. Oh shit! <laughs> and just to, just to creep, uh, you know, everyone out. So, That's messed up. Yeah, but um, okay. So <laughs> after the student comes, we find we you know Anne Stork, which I forgot to mention is uh, Jeff's wife, uh, played by Amy Landecker. Um, Amy Landecker has been in a bunch of things. Actually, she was. Um, she's actually from Chicago, Illinois. Hey, represent, oh. right? Mm. Um, she was in A Serious Man, which is a phenomenal, phenomenal Very film. Good. One of the Coen Brothers' best movies, actually. Um, she's also in Transparent. Um, and she's she's appeared in one of my favorite episodes of Curb Enthusiasm. She was in Doctor Strange. Um very uh just a big tv actor i mean she's been in like mad men louis um four episodes of louis actually because she played the mother a lot of comedies it looks like mm-hmm. again like a lot you know people who are more prone to picking comedy yeah yeah so really really solid here um and we see that she's with her lawyer who i don't know the actor but jesus christ is this guy a schmuck and i wanted to i wanted to <laughs> strangle him the entire oh you mean, you mean jeff. jeff yeah his name's jeff jeff smith i think so what's what's going on at this deposition? Things are supposed to be good, right? Well, you would think, but sometimes divorces are messy. And uh, it looks like she wants all of his stuff, essentially, including his priceless guitar. That means like a ton. To, it was his dad's guitar. Yeah. Possibly another Kurt Cobain reference. Yeah. yeah. Which is kind of interesting, especially given the area, too, because it's not too far from Seattle, but... But um, she's she's an interesting character because when we see her first, the first thing he says is when he mentions the gun because he gets the gun back through the mail, yeah. right? And she says, maybe you could sell it. It could be worth something because my friends say you're in for a really tough time now that we're getting divorced. Yeah. And then she lets on that, oh, by the way, the reason why we can't do couples therapy and we have to get divorced is because, you know, I'm sleeping with Jeff. <laughs> Not you, but, you know, Jeff, yeah. Jeff, 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 you know, Jeff. So. Which Jeff? Jeff. Oh, Jeff. Yeah, Jeff, right. <laughs> so, I mean, this that's that, all of a sudden I'm sort of thinking maybe Jeff, Jeff, our protagonist, O'Dowd, yes. right? Yeah. Might be better off without this Jeff lover, uh-huh. right? You know, but um, she, oh, it's a Jeff fetish pretty much. Yeah. yeah two Jeffs. But, but I mean, it's a very weird like vibe you get from her. And then later on, I mean, she's humanized a little bit more, but a really weird um, situation where, again, they're going to split 50% everything because this bass guitar of, again, his father who just, you know, killed himself. It's like his prized possession, mm-hmm. you know, heirloom from his father. Yeah. They just want to sell it too because, again, it played at Monterey Pop, played at Glenn Watkins, and it's just another, you know, dull, dollar tag, you know? Well, and we also see how it means even more to him too because once he starts actually kind of coming around to the gun and he goes to the shooting range... Um, he comes back, he's listening to white rabbit. Um, and he's kind of jamming on the bass with it, Mm -hmm, which I actually thought was really well shot scene. Um, and he's entranced by the bass. Like it's, there's a comfort to it, except that which is, there's a symbology to like the idea that he goes from like playing that, like holding onto the bass to then drifting away from it and going to the gun in the other room where he almost blows his brains out. So we almost Mm -hmm. get a sense of like, that's kind of what happened to his father. I was going to say, do you think as he sort of, sinks into his because he's living in his father's house now Mm -hmm. right because he's been kicked out 
and he's you know wearing some of his clothes. We see um you know playing his music on the the record player. We see him obviously it's a way to be in touch with his father and but then he's jamming on his bass. So you sort of think that's in some ways. We're seeing him go down a similar path, perhaps. I think so. I didn't think well, of it at the I time. I think it gives credence to, you know, the overall vibe to the episode is that we put a lot of, you know, we put a lot of stuff like sentimentality into yeah. objects, you mm-hmm. know. And I think someone who's grieving the loss of, a, like, a parent, especially, just gives us a little bit of insight into what it's like to kind of associate and attach emotions and feelings to mm-hmm. inanimate objects. Yeah, yeah I sure. actually like that read a lot. I mean, something happened to Otis. And that was interesting. Again, his eulogy gave a lot of information, right? We found out he did all these cool things. He went to Cuba where I'm guessing we assume he got the scorpion because mm-hmm. the scorpion, the blue scorpion, actually the the um, the anacrid itself comes from Cuba, yeah. among other places. So, And they tell us that too. So I think we're supposed that the gun was made there. So I think we're supposed to assume. And he said, you know, he never, what, he never got divorced. He never went bankrupt. He mm. never got evicted like he had this really he never went unloved he never went unloved he had this really solid life you know this really um almost uh, just uh you know very minor bumps in the road life so what how did it somehow get to this point well i guess the thing that you know without having to go through every different detail because eventually you know as we see that the gun actually turns out to be a good thing for jeff in a sense because he becomes the quote-unquote hero um and he's able to kind of eject the gun I guess the question in that respect is, is the gun a good thing for Jeff? And was it a good thing for Otis? You know, like his question of, you know, did it not turn out as he wanted? Maybe everything in life did turn out as he wanted. He was ready to go. Maybe it was that was it, you know, and And maybe he he had this object, you know, because obviously he owned it for a while. He's had this in his possession. He has a whole fucking safe for it. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if he kind of got to the end of his road and was <laughs> like, I have this object now that can, you know, I can I can go peacefully. I'm just wondering if we're to, yeah. if we're to see the because the thing I have a problem with, and I guess we could, you know, save it for later on in the science of superstition, but it doesn't seem as if the the gun is does too much harm for Jeff. I mean well, you but, have to treat it well. Do you remember? Yeah. Like, so, you know, maybe his father wasn't, you know, treating it well. I, I feel like Jeff is the one. He, like, babies it. He takes him Puts with little it. little flashlights with it. Exactly. Like, and even in the scene when he is sitting with the divorce lawyer and his ex-wife and he's, like, clutching the backpack. And yeah. it's, it's, like, such a stressful scene because it's kind of associated with, you know, like, shooters, obviously. Yeah. And how they, you know, have their weapons with them. And how they react to having their weapons with them. And he kept clutching it. Like, I know that it's here. And it's like a safety blanket of, Mm -hmm. I know that it's here with me. And he's, he loves this gun. Like, he even shouts uh, to the ex-wife. He's like, take the base, you know. Uh, Mm -hmm. But, shove it up your ass, basically. And he's like, but don't take the blue scorpion. I loved it more. I've always loved it more than you. I think there are more Jeffs than there are Otis's. And I think that Otis never embraced it the way that Jeff did. And, um... I think he probably took himself out because he was sick of having this one thing nagging him that he was worried about hurting someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's a because he's a kind soul. Yeah, and we spend that whole scene. That was when we get to the part that about making a sweat. That was the part that was the most tense for me was the lawyer's office because there are so many potential targets and this gun fires spontaneously, so you don't know what's going to happen and it just could go so wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think that's. I mean, when we get to the illusions part. I have an illusion that really um, 
directed how I read, steered how I read or, or how I watched this episode. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I will say that I think where um, can this I mean, that is a question. I mean, does the gun love you better than anyone else? Um, is it there to solve all your problems like we're told? But I, I do think when you're dealing with themes, we'll get to like themes of obsession um, and that sort of thing. Um it can go well to a point. Mm-hmm. And I think where Jeff Jeff figures out, okay, this sort of worked out, right? I became a hero. Um, I was able to sort of get over my wife leaving me and move on. We see a nod to the other Jeff, right? And um, he becomes the director of his the department at school. Yeah, he sort of, you know, everything sort of comes together for him. It's a bit of a sham because, of course, we know he wasn't, he wasn't in front of... Jeff and his uh, his ex's house no. to save them from the home invader. He was there to do something quite oh, different. No, he's ba- basically yeah. there to be Martin Scorsese and from Taxi Driver or Tim Robbins in, uh, <laughs> in uh, um, Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. So I mean, we we all know that. So my my point being though is that I think it's what Eleanor said. Like he, he realized the one thing he didn't have is control. This gun might be trying to help him and protect him and want to be with him, but he didn't have control over it. So he got rid of it before. Maybe he became Otis, or before you know something you know terrible happened. Well, now it's in a it's in the hands of a, a young kid named Kyle. So uh, fear Kyle for sure, uh, yeah, but so we fucked. won't have to fear him for too long because we're moving right into our next category, and that is the light and shadow. We know that a dream can be real, but whoever thought that reality could be a dream? Think about it. And then ask yourself, do you live here, in this country, in this world, or do you live instead in the Twilight Zone? All right. Well, in this category, we'd like to talk about the parallels and allusions to past Twilight Zone episodes and anything in all things pop culture. Uh, So, who wants to kick this off? I had already mentioned uh, Taxi Driver just now, and I think that this whole um, thing with his downward spiral screams of uh, Travis Bickle. So, uh, Eleanor, you always are our scholar here with when it comes to past episodes, especially for The Twilight Zone. What, what, what came to mind? Actually, one thing that I loved about this episode was that it was so much like a classic episode, but it didn't rehash a classic episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there were illusions, like um, a most unusual camera is playing in the gun shop. I put that one too. <laughs> I'm glad that we both saw that because that, yeah, it's definitely the cursed, you know, object thing. Yeah, where the object is more important than life, like he says at the end. But yeah, it, it didn't have direct ties except for an enchanted object. And there were other things that I really liked about this episode. Like I liked that. It deals with gun violence. It deals with the the concern of guns. Yeah. But then it also doesn't give you a side. Like, it doesn't tell you what side to be on. And it showed kind of the the playful side that we have when we think about guns sometimes, some of us. (laughs) So, like, he did the Dirty Harry quote and the gun range sequence where he, like, kind of essentially makes love to this gun where he, Mm -hmm. like, realizes that he and this gun have a thing going. This is off topic, but it reminded me so much of the Dave Barry essay in Best State Ever about Florida, where he goes to a gun range and it's like, he's serious for about 30 seconds and then he's like, okay, but shooting machine guns feels amazing and, and you know, feels like all your little boy adrenaline just like exploding. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good for him. And I think uh, we saw Stork have the same emotional response (laughs) 
Yeah, the the idea of the inescapable reminds me of like so many tropes in the Twilight Zone, but I, I, yeah, I couldn't really single it out to one. Um, so I I really agree with you on that one. I and I I did think that the originality of this episode is one of its uh, positives for mm-hmm. sure. Um, just in that respect, because I mean, yeah, like other than the ones that you already mentioned, especially like the Dirty Harry line, the taxi driver, like. I, I really couldn't think of... Um, I like, thought one was kind of similar. Um, it's in the first season. Um, I think it's only like maybe the third episode or so. Yeah. Um, it's um, it's set in the Old West. Uh, an old gunslinger is now just a washed up drunk. And um, it's got... Um, but Martin Landau is kind of his antagonist. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, so basically a peddler comes in who kind of, again, has anything you need, you know? Yeah. And what he does is he has a gun there for the old gunslinger and you know, basically yeah, this gun you know. helps him to um, not only get back on his feet, but it also helps him then to not have the same fate and to save another gunslinger from the same fate of, you know, basically keep, you know, keep killing and killing and killing until you, you know, you something terrible happens, you know, keep, I guess, challenging people and being challenged or something. That was like the that. third so, episode. Yeah. So this is Mr. Was, Denton on Doom. Exactly. Day. Mr. Denton. So this is a case where, you know, again, a mysterious gun kind of comes in and, um, Again, the question, it helped Denton. The question is, we can ask, you know, um, did it really help, uh, you know, did it help the people that found it here in mm-hmm. this episode? So that was similar. What about you? Well, I found the, uh, right at the beginning of the episode, it scans over like a glass of scotch. And then next to the glass yep. is a, like, almost like a crystal uh, version of the double head from Nick of Time. And it's like, Mike made this point while we were watching it. He was like, it seems like they just pick like three classic Twilight episode, uh, Twilight Zone episodes <laughs> and like use them as Easter eggs in every episode. And no. it's like, these were the most obvious ones. They use them time and time again. Use like yeah. do something a little more clever. Give us something. Well, you else. point to the nick of time every week, don't you? I, I think? love that it feels episode. Like it, yeah. I do. It's one of my favorite episodes. I have a fucking action figure of him, but. <laughs> I just wish that there were other things for us to look for, you know, yeah. besides these same things. Yeah, I mean, you have like five seasons worth, not to mention like all the other seasons from the 80s revival mm-hmm. and the 2000s ones. Give me give me some references to the Force Whitaker Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> did, you, uh, did you guys see the other 1015? Oh, what was the, what was the other 1015? Jeff's, Jeff's card he gives him. Oh. His address oh. of his law offices are at 1015. That's cool. That's cool. I did I not catch not that. Not the Jeff the wife is sleeping with, the Jeff who... Is the attorney of the wife? Hmm. So just to keep so the, the murderer. So there's another ten fifteen, which makes me want to. I really want for last la, next week. I want the ten fifteen to just come. Be everything means no, just mean something. I want to. Yeah. I want. I mean, I know it probably won't, but I think that would be cool if they could do something meaningful ten fifteen yeah. to wrap it up season. I have been wondering if it's all going to turn out to be a simulation. Ooh. You know, like I mean, there is something to be said about how secretive they've been with these like past few episodes. You know, like when this first started back in like what early uh, april um there was they at least listed you know the first four or five episodes but these last few episodes have been pretty like shrouded in secrecy like we i knew about the blue scorpion but we didn't know when it was going to actually air per se i mean we still don't really have a title Mm -hmm. for the last episode so i mean screeners came a lot earlier yeah behind the scenes folks yeah or look at it you know so yeah and because none of us have cv yeah (laughs) i'm gonna say this is episode this is episodes out late because we don't have cvs all access and the screeners did come in a little later than usual i think the computer from the whipple corporation has evolved so far with its deep learning has has just gone into a completely different 
level of thinking and all of these characters are part of that deep learning computer simulation. God, that'd be wild. Maybe we get like an all-star episode where all of them are there. And then we have like 10 like Jordan Peele's walking around <laughs> giving different narrations at once. Um, it'd be like us, actually. <laughs> if it could be, be done cool. well, I would love to see something culminate from all this, you know? It would be neat. But we have another season coming too. And, yeah. you know, just another great episode would be good too. Well, did anyone else uh, see any parallels and illusions? Big time. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, I mean, there were, there were certain little things. I mean, obviously, we already pointed to, you know, Bilbo or Schmeagle and his precious. You <laughs> yes. Know, that sort of thing. Yes. Or I guess, I guess Otis would probably be more, perhaps, the Bilbo Baggins who put it away for years. And maybe you would see a little bit more... Um, a Frodo Schme- with... Or a little bit more Schmeagle or Frodo with... Um, with uh, Jeff. With Jeff. Yeah. yeah. Or an elevator. Other things I noticed were... Uh, and again, this isn't really a big reference, but even just the vanishing bullets and the things and change. It reminded me a lot of Back to the Future and how yeah. pictures and things and headlines and tombstones would change and things like that. Uh, but those, I mean, those weren't the biggies. I mean, the the big one for me was, um, has anyone ever read Steinbeck's uh, uh, The Pearl? Yeah. Oh, yeah. If yeah. you read oh. Steinbeck's The Pearl, it's pretty much impossible not to look at the episode like that. Mm. Um and you have to assume the writers read it too. And just really, really briefly, what the pearl's about is you have a um, a family, like a native family, living in Mexico, and the husband, the father, is a pearl diver. His son gets bit by a scorpion, and to be able to pay for the doctor, he has to go dive for pearls. He ends up finding what they call the pearl of the world. It's like the size of your head or whatever. I mean, so now all of a sudden, he's not just worried about being able to. Um, you know, pay for the treatment. He's worried about thinking all the other things he could get, the house he can get, the education yeah. he can give his family, all these things. And what ends up happening is the more and more he worries about all this, um, the more and more trouble it creates. And at the end, what does he do? Because it's caused so much trouble and his son has been accidentally killed. He throws the pearl back into the ocean. What do Part we see here? Ocean. We see the gun go back. I mean, it's... Yeah, I can see that. It's 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 yeah. the same thing. It's, yeah. it's basically ripped right from the pearl. But... Uh, uh, and again, the uh, with the themes of you know obsession and what happens when you uh, you get seduced or you get obsessed with something and you lose track of what matters more. You know mm-hmm. that's what we obviously see. We see we see Jeff at that point before he's before actually the home invader basically saves him. Yeah, you know in some ways the gun saved him, but the home invader did. We see Jeff has gone off. The he's been seduced. He's yeah. become Gollum, right? The, this is his precious. And yeah, he's about to do something terrible. So. And then it snaps him yeah. out of it. But it's it's right out of the pearl, basically, is yeah. how I read it. And I, if you know that novel, I don't think you can read it any differently. Well, you know? does anyone have anything to top that? I don't think he was going to kill Jeff. You don't think so? <laughs> <laughs> I was so unsure. What was he going to do? <laughs> what the hell was he there for? I think he was just being a creeper, and then that opens up potential for violence to happen. But I don't think he was setting out to do any violence. I did. I did find it funny though that like there was no real question of it was just oh you saved us from the home invader. He was coming after us, which we don't know if he was or not, you know. But he was in the neighborhood up to no good. But again, like uh, Jeff, and again, not Jeff. Number two, who the wife is sleeping with, the ex-Jeff, our protagonist, Jeff. Jeff, what were you doing in, in front of our house with a gun, you know, in a car? At yeah. night, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I had the same Just call. protect you were on the crime watch? It was your night? Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, def- it's definitely... That was a little strange. <laughs> no, it's a little strange, um, but, you know... Never looked that one. <laughs> you could always file strange under two things. Yeah. And yes, this is a strange seg. But you could file strange under science 
and superstition. Obscure metaphysical explanation to cover a phenomena. Reasons dredged out of the shadows to explain away that which cannot be explained. Call it parallel planes or just insanity. Whatever it is, you find it in the Twilight Zone. Now in this section, we like to talk about the mechanics of the zone, which I think we've already kind of hinted at before already, but we can definitely elaborate a little bit more on here. Uh, we also like to talk about whether this was um, science fiction or fantasy and uh, what made us sweat. Now, when it comes to the mechanics of the zone, I am still really lost in this episode. And I know that I tend to be anal retentive with how things work in this particular Twilight Zone. I was going to say, yeah. But I, I thought that this episode was a little loopy and could have used some more defined rules or like what was actually going on. Mm -hmm. You know, like, again, I go back to like the name thing. Like, I don't really know what the name had other than just to be kind of weird and coincidental and spooky. I think, all. again, it's the idea that the gun is going to choose you. I saw it very much, um, I admit, like a couple weeks ago with the meteors and things. No idea, like the mechanics and how this happened, how it became a fad to drink them yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, what I think of this more as an episode like Replay. And my issue with Replay was not the camcorder. Oh, which, yeah, again, no, we, we, we had questions about it. Like, yeah. Where did it come from? Does it have something to do with the grandfather episode? I think you can ask questions about this gun. You can ask a lot of questions, but I, I don't know. I felt like I knew enough. I felt like, you know, there again, we can always do some of those Twilight Zone questions. Exactly what's yeah. going on here? And that's that's fun. Well, but my, I'm just saying, I think I knew enough that it didn't de detract me from the episode. Well, my problem with it is that it's mm -hmm. not so much just like the specificity of it, but more of just like you know, these things are happening here for some sort of thematic value. And I just couldn't see it. I just didn't know really what was kind of trying to be said with all these certain illusions because I felt that it was it was kind of shaking things up a little bit mm -hmm. too much to the point where I thought that the focus was off, which is something that's happened a lot in this season. I actually really liked that about it because it wasn't telling me what to think. I mean, it was suggesting what I should maybe probably think. But it wasn't telling me this is the only way to look at guns. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just didn't... The, the, even, like, the gun thing, I didn't really get. I just thought because, yeah, I mean, yes, there are guns in it, so automatically it can be something about, you know, gun debate or gun control and, and whatnot. But I didn't even get that, and I thought it was almost like an afterthought at the end mm -hmm. with the kids. It you know? feels, like, purely coincidental that they, like, were trying to make a statement about gun control. I mean, that's, like, it did. It, like, the ending of the episode... Him, you know, becoming the hero and, like, no one taking account for the fact that he was being a creeper outside of their right. house. Mm -hmm. And him getting a new job and an even bigger office than he already was in. It's It seems like that could have been the ending. And then they, like, kind of added these two kids to kind of be like, and wait, kids, be afraid of guns. But even then, I, the, mm. here's, the, here's my problem with the gun thing. is that, okay, so you have a cursed object, right? So... A cursed object should be something that's a little bit more plaintive, in my opinion. Like something like a gun already carries its sort of weight to it and has more than I mean, it's the Chekhov's gun thing. You, you're but gonna, you know, it does go off multiple times. It does so go off multiple times, but that's it's a like idea. But it's it seems as if like you know this 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 is trying to say more than just about guns i don't think it is it seems more existential in nature well about it. two things one do you have the same questions when you watch an episode like what you need um i in a way but i i think it's it's mostly because i've guessed the culture that we live in right now 
You know, like when you see guns, it's like the immediate suggestion is, okay, well, and especially given this season, which has been so explicit with its sort of political ties and its commentary, I automatically assume like, okay, there is going to be something that's going to be said about guns, but I never really got that with this episode. Yeah, because I don't think it was that simple. I I don't think it was like, hey, we're going to make a message or we're going to make a statement in this episode and here's what it is. I think they were saying, we're going to tell a story. You can interpret it how you want. And a large part of that story was based on the tension you feel when there's a loaded gun that you know is intended to kill someone called Jeff. And I don't know any Jeffs, so it didn't really bother me that much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I think um, I, I knew three Jeffs growing up all had my same birthday. We were all born in the same hospital. Three Wait, Jeffs really? Mat. Three Jeffs in a mat. Sounds oh, like wow. a sitcom. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I was going to say. Sounds like a TV show. It, it could be. Yeah. On sounds CBS like a sitcom. Yeah. <laughs> on CBS All Access. <laughs> we'll write it if they'll put it out there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But no, I was going to say that I didn't read anything about guns into this. I thought the gun, again, the, the gun had a lot of power to it, a lot of power mm-hmm. to change things and do things. I think that's maybe why a gun was used. Um, but no, again, I read it as a story where you had, remember, you have this guy in his probably most vulnerable he's ever been. His life, his marriage is a sham. He's about to get cleaned out. He's lost his father. He's as vulnerable as you can get. And then all of a sudden, something comes into his life that, again, sort of um, seduces him that mm-hmm. says, we can make all your problems go away, potentially. That, in a sense, in a kind of weird way, loves him. Right now, at a point where maybe there's no one else that really does care about him or love him. So I think, again, this goes back to just that idea. And, and Peel, it's, it's the idea from Steinbeck's Pearl, one of the themes. It's what Peel says at the end. What happens when you start to value or become obsessed with something, you know, uh, a material object in this case, um, again, within the idea that it can maybe fix everything. Nothing's that simple. Yeah, what no. happens when you become so obsessed with that that you start valuing it again? over other people and things like that. No, and I get know? that. I just feel like I just using like, the gun was just a total mixed message there, and I think that they they could have done better with something a little bit more uh, plaintive again. I, I just, just think, again, you know, I just think that gun has, again, the, the power to, you know, protect you, the power yeah. to do something very, very dramatic. In this case, what were the problems in his life? I mean, the problems really were... The other people in this case, his relationships and other people. A gun is a way to, you know, potentially uh, put an end to that. Well, hey, if you're Mark David Chapman. Sure. Um, So (laughs) you talked a lot about the powers of the gun. And I think that leads to our our next question, which is, what do we think? Is this science fiction or fantasy? Fantasy. Cursed objects are always fantasy. Yeah. Fantasy. Yeah. No question. Fantasy. Uh, there was music in it, so I'll say Fantasia. Ooh, Fantasia. <laughs> What's your favorite Fantasia short? I fell asleep during oh, every no. time I, I ever read that. I love the Devil that. one. That's the Devil one's awful. my favorite, too. Yeah. I could watch the Mickey, and that was it. Just you know, I like the Mickey one, too, although I'm pretty sure that's the seeds of my anxiety as a kid. Because I was like, why can't he fucking stop these, these, these like water from coming up? God damn it, Mickey. Um, Eleanor, favorite Fantasia? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely the ones with nipples. Ooh. <laughs> but all the Glenn Morgan episodes feature a lot of licensed music. Yeah. So that's really important that to him. That's true. That's point. true. Yeah. Well, you mentioned it earlier, Eleanor, uh, about a scene that made you sweat. I'm going to share one of mine, and I actually legitimately got chills. And it's when he, um, what really made me sweat is when Jeff walks back into his room stoned 
and sees the gun there. But then, you know, the the owner, Eulogio, he pops up San Fuegos. He pops up from like the wall, which was something like it reminded me of like hereditary. Like it was so scary. And his suit is the same color of the wall too, kind of. So he like you don't really notice him at first. Yes, and then he like pops. That's because he wasn't there at first. I thought that was this. Honestly, it was so chilling. Um, and I don't know. I watched it this morning again, and I was so like, Jesus Christ, that's a terrifying shot. Um, uh, for me, like, and, and I know we kind of made, like, poked fun at the scene earlier where the student is complaining about, like, her thesis and the subject matter. But honestly, for someone like me who was, like, a very odd kid growing up, like, my mom thought I had Asperger's. Like, she, I was just not great at social situations but i i really did think that my stuffed animals had feelings and stuff yeah and i would make sure that every night when i went to bed all of my stuffed animals were on the bed with me so that they were like there none of them felt like they were going to be left out and i felt like if i fell asleep and one wasn't on the bed it would try to like do me harm in the middle of the night and i've like thought that i've had that feeling of like leaving a room and wondering like Mm-hmm. What goes on after you leave the room, kind of, you know? So Toy that, Story, like, basically. You, yeah. You but invented like, Toy Story. Or the living doll. Essentially. Because it was before I had really seen those movies. Like, I was fairly young. I remember being, like, really scared of inanimate objects and giving too much, um, like, thought to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that, like, that was the first time I'd ever even heard of that term. Anthropomorphism. Animism. Animism. Believe, yeah. Okay, I don't know why I want to say it. But I have to wrong. ask, which one of your stuffed animals were you most scared of? It wasn't like a Winnie the Pooh, was it? It's not that I was scared. My favorite one was Grover. Uh, it was a stuffed <laughs> blue <laughs> Grover, and it was my mom. So he was like really matted, and yeah. he was really old. He was like thirty years old, and his eyeball—he was so old that his like the paint on his eyeballs was like going away. This is like an original run of Grover. Original so Grover. Just, just like a solid white eye. Is yeah, like, except for like a little bit of black on his eyes. So it was like the village of the damn kids. Is like uh, I loved my Grover. Like Grover is a damn toys. And if Grover wasn't on the bed, like, I was fairly certain his blue little fluffy arms were going to come up and fucking kill me. Oh, God. <laughs> so that scene scared me. Grover and the blue scorpion are a lot alike. Exactly. <laughs> they're both blue, for starters, and they're both loose cannons. They are. Grover's a fucking mess. <laughs> <laughs> Yet he gets a job at every restaurant in town. He's super uh-huh. Grover. Keeps getting jobs, yeah. He's super Grover, too, I mean. Well, Eleanor, what else uh, made you sweat? <laughs> I'm, I mean, yeah, just the the gun in the backpack really drove me crazy. But yeah, yeah. of course, a spontaneously firing gun with an intent to kill—that's what that's what made me sweat. Even with the kids at the end, I just kept. I, I was like, because we've seen this show get dark. Part of me was worried that like his friend was going to get shot at that end right there. I'm glad they didn't do that, but because I think the illusion itself is enough. We know yeah. where this is going. Mm-hmm. Two children, two boys playing with a gun, like which is sad, but like most. If I were a young girl, I wouldn't be. I'd be like, I'm not gonna touch that. You oh know? bullshit! I swear no to God, way. I know I wouldn't. Okay. Someone, someone named Kyle is um, got a bullet with her name on it. I love that they went for the cop thing too. That that the boys started uh, like play arresting. Yeah, mm-hmm. you have the right to remain silent. Yeah, a little uh, just a replay. Yeah, like a hail mary uh, commentary there at the end. Um, Maybe but... he grows up to be the officer from replay. Yeah, mm-hmm. that could be it. Yeah. I mean, I, I do like something though that whenever you see the father, the father's killed himself in the first thirty seconds, and you see his name vanish, you know, and you find out, oh, that was Otis, 
and then you see the bull with Jeff. You know Jeff, and you assume it's your Jeff, but it could be one of about 10 Jeffs by the end of the episode. I do like the idea that we know where this is all headed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you get it there in an interesting way, that doesn't spoil a story at all. And I mean, so, but I, I, I sort of like that idea of, okay, let's figure out who it's going to be in. You almost have to assume there's going to be some sort of twist. So, I mean, I, I like that setup. What it really, um, but I'll tell you what, what kind of made me sweat was Jeff goes into a firing range and just is acting peculiar as hell. He starts just sort of babbling nonsense, like, I only need to fire it once, you know? And yeah. uh, they're just like, you know, after all this, and he's like freaking out. He's like, I keep meeting people named Jeff. Everyone's yeah. a Jeff. That's not normal, you know? And then the one person's like, um, to, you know, pointing to her friend there at the counter, uh, you're talking to Jeff. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then the next thing we know, they let him in to fire off his gun. I'm like, who the hell lets this guy who's just babbling crazy, you know? Um, take a loaded gun on their premises. I thought that was insane. Well, they Second probably, Amendment, go, you know? Even in Florida, they make you sign a release that says you're not crazy and that you haven't been seen for mental health issues. Because every crazy person puts, I'm crazy. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Signed, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I'm crazy. Don't let me shoot this. Well, that's a, that, that's a, that's a parable, a cautionary tale, if I've ever heard one. Um, but we're not here to talk about cautionary tales. We're here to talk about the lessons that we've learned. And uh, that leads us to our next section, the lesson. The tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. For the record, prejudices can kill and suspicion can destroy. All right. I Look, I'll kick this off because, look, we, you've already mentioned Peel's yeah. lesson. As long as objects are valued more than lives, tragedy will forever be manufactured here in the Twilight Zone. And I, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not sure I agree with that. And I don't even know if I even understand the ideas of obsession and possession here. I mean, I, I thought that kind of like a traveler, I thought Morgan was struggling to link together a lot of these ideas and... I guess based on that lesson, I, I would argue it can't really ring true if only because I never really get the sense of what Jeff is like before the gun, you know, like other than mm. the kind of a straight comment when he walks into the house to see his father, where he's talking about some of the divorce proceedings, you never really get any sort of sense of who he really is. So immediately it's just this kind of boom possession with the lesson. And it kind of seems to correlate with this chapter that we never really see. And so for me, it's like any potential lessons on gun control or aggression or possession, or they all feel more like uh, bullet points than uh, legitimate. So, so you're saying lessons. you needed to see um, a transformation in Jeff. Something, was, yeah. Although there wasn't a lot there. I got enough. I felt like I got enough from Jeff coming in and just mentioning what he was going through with the divorce, eulogizing his father um, when he's again, I really like that moment. I mean, and if you've ever had to pack up the things of a loved one, I really love that, you know, that sentimental moment where he's hanging with his stuff and going through his dad's clothes and his music and things. And I, I think I do get a sense of who Jeff is. And again, at first he sees the gun and he's, you know, extremely, you know, sort of I can't even believe my father would have a gun, you know. Next thing you know, he's spending a little bit more time. I mean, I, I, I think one of the things the show's gotten better with is pacing. And I thought the pacing of the seduction worked 
well enough for me. So I guess I, I felt I knew Jeff a little bit more than you did firsthand. So I okay, see, well I guess you're closer to Jeff than I am. <laughs> I guess. Well, I just <laughs> uh, so I guess I just I know I, I think I saw the seduction take place. Yeah. And again, if the idea is, I mean, he's he's vulnerable. He's at his you know lowest point, and then um, he's he's sort of easily um, seduced by this this object, and um, it clouds you know sort of clouds his thinking. So. Uh, yeah, I, I, it, it worked for me. I, I admit the themes. I mean, it's not it's not neat and tidy by any means. No. But I mean, I can kind of get at the idea of this obsession of his that he develops for this gun because it's magical or because mm-hmm. it can solve all his problems because of all the shit he's going through in his life. Whatever it is, it seduces him. Like Eleanor said, like a sex scene at the range, right? I saw it as a total seduction of the gun yeah. seducing him, right? So I see him change. And again, do I quite get all the themes? Eh, it, it gets there close enough for me. Jeff's all over this. I mean, <laughs> I think that um, they did a really good job of building a character there. We know he's a really frustrated person. He's trying to do everything right. And the way that he was like, I said, basically, not absolutely. And then the way he tries to differentiate between animism and anthropomorphism. Clearly, he's very specific and he wants people to understand him. And no matter what, people don't and i think part of that is because objects keep getting in the way like how his wife wants to take all his stuff depending on how you look at it and how this gun shows up out of nowhere and claims his dad and i think that the objects mattering more than people thing is something we do all the time as humans and that i feel like applies way more to the environment than it does to anything that came up in this episode that we are unwilling to sacrifice anything because we like being comfortable and having stuff. But I think that it is a really good truth. Good job, Twilight Zone, for pointing it out. But uh, but I would yeah. also just say it's not just an item. It's an item at this low point in his life that he feels can fix everything. True. Yeah. I, my, I guess my thing is that I never get the sense that he ever values objects over people even Because he doesn't. So I don't understand why he would have to know this lesson other than the fact that this is just a... A, a possession that's because he didn't it was everybody around him who did that's why he's a frustrated person i assume i definitely just think this whole episode wants us to see like the false security that objects can give us specifically guns um i mean and how we as a society we can see hundreds and thousands of people die because of gun violence and yet we still are like but our guns, you know, like we still like, what is it that you need these for? You know, what what is going to be the defining moment that's like, OK, maybe, you know, maybe we should like not put these objects over like fucking human lives, essentially. Um, so I think that's what the overall lesson it's what the episode is trying to do. I think um, while I was watching it, it confused me because I was like, I don't really know if I'm supposed to think that. People kill people or guns kill people, you know, by the end of this episode. Exactly. And I mean, you can look at it that as either like a positive or a negative narratively of like you, the episode is at least letting me walk away and kind of form my own opinion there. Um, but uh, yeah, I just, I definitely think it's trying to shine a light, you know, no pun intended mm-hmm. because the blue scorpion likes oh. a little bit of light. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> that darkness. Um, but on how we, you know, even I do it. Like I, you know, I, I have, I'll have shirts that don't fit anymore, but because I wore them to like something special in my life, I won't throw it away. You know, we as humans do that. And I think, you know, we as a, unfortunately as a society have decided that 
guns are more important than the thousands of lives we've seen lost over the years. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, it's being topical per usual. But it showed instead of telling, which was really nice. I agree. No, I, I agree on that point for sure. I I absolutely appreciate the fact that they're not shoving it down our throats like they did with, you know, the, the meteor episode mm -hmm. or, um, I mean... Even to a point last week. I mean, I love Point of Origin, but there's a lot of stuff that was a lot of exposition. There's there a couple, sure, yeah. You know, I mean, but the, the, this definitely seemed to be more. Um, uh, it was a little tranquil in, in terms of its, you know, digressions, and I and I like that, and a little more meditative in ways I thought that was more successful here than it was, with, say, Morgan's The Traveler. So. I mean, they weren't shoving it down your your throat or you know into your head how to think about this. I no. mean, I think it's interesting, Sammy you know, thought about like gun control and gun violence and it didn't even strike me. I saw the gun as um, not really a gun in any ways. Like I saw it no different than uh, the comedian, right? The comedian where we had um, Kumail who all of a sudden had a way to um, get rid of people he didn't want, get, mm -hmm. had a way to get laughs. I just saw it as a tool. I didn't see it. so. But again, I think that goes back to exactly what Eleanor said and what you were saying is it's really interesting when someone doesn't, you know, someone reveals and, and, you know, shows instead of tells because then you can have this, these interesting different takes on it and no one could point to, well, they just said this, this and gave it yeah. all away. You know what I mean? I well, mean, Peel at the end comes in a little bit and yeah, he says does. what he thinks, but I mean, you could definitely take other things away from it, which I, I didn't think about watching it. So it's cool listening to you guys. Well, that's why I think this next question is going to be even more important. Who won? Jeff wins. Jeff yeah, wins. Yeah, I mean, I Jeff that's wins. That's across the board. I think we can all agree. The NRA wins. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. It's because really guns do kill people. It's not people. Jeff couldn't have killed Jeff if he wanted to because he couldn't reach the gun. Yeah. 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 Jeff, you know, the gun makes the decisions. Take that, Charlton Heston. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I think uh, again, it's interesting because Jeff's victory is a little bit of a sham. Uh, because we know that we know why again or I, I guess i i knew why i thought he was in front of their house at that late hour looking up at their bedroom you know uh with with a gun um and uh you know clearly sort of not all there um i i you know so yeah, we've all been there right am i right oh, guys yeah. <laughs> well hey speaking of we've all been there i i need a penny for your thoughts it doesn't matter mr Poole. a man with your ability Hearing people's thoughts, strange delusion. But with proper medical care, it will go away. Miss Turner, it is not a delusion. There, you see, I can read your thoughts. So what would you do in this situation, Matt? Well, my, my last thought was just this, that Jeff was on the path to losing. Yeah. And he wins because he realizes, you know, I can't control something like this. I can't have this relationship with this, you know, this artifact or this item. Uh, what would I do? Uh, if I, uh, that's the thing. Do you, how much, that's the question. Cause the gun picks you, right? Yeah. So how much control, how much agency do you really have? The best we can say about Otis is maybe Otis was able to lock it up in the safe. And just like, I mean, again, go back to Bilbo Baggins, right? He was able to keep that locked up that ring for many, many years and it didn't have the same effect on him that it did on like a golem. So yeah. uh, I, I don't know that we have a choice there. I guess it's just a matter of are we strong enough to have the gun pick us and not allow it to lead to something tragic, you know, eventually or or at least, you know, put it off for a while 
or are we going to be, you know, a couple days with the gun and we're going to be outside our exes, you know, ready yeah. to go do something? So I don't know that we have a choice. I think it maybe maybe this is one of those questions where the gun kind of brings out something about you, you know. Well, earlier today, uh, Paramount Pictures dropped the trailer for Terminator Dark Fate. And in that trailer is a character by the name of Sarah Connor. And in Terminator 2 Judgment Day, she says, there is no fate but what we make. And I believe that I have to believe that that applies uh, to this world. Otherwise, Jeff wouldn't be able to, to get rid of the gun, although he's only able to get rid of the gun because the deed is done because the bullets in someone else. Right. So maybe you maybe you're right. Maybe you can. But, uh, but I think he's learned a lesson. He has learned some lesson. I mean, yeah. he doesn't have to get rid of it. No. But we know what happens if you keep it too long. Because, mm. again, Otis had a great life, and then something went wrong eventually. And so. then not so good of a life. I would definitely go the route of Otis, because I wouldn't think to embrace the gun. You know, it's not just the threat of it killing someone. It's the threat of it being found in his backpack at the lawyer's office. I'm like, oh, my God, dude, go home. <laughs> yeah. But here's maybe the question, Eleanor. So you're an Otis right now, but what if your life is a complete wreck and this gun seems to be something that could fix it all, then do you become more of a Jeff? I think that I would take that to mean all your problems go away when you're not thinking about them anymore, therefore take yourself out. And that way you solve the problem of having to kill someone. Hmm. Especially because most of the Eleanors in the world right now are small children, and I would find that really hard to, you know, have as a possibility that I would accidentally shoot a kid or something. <laughs> your name is your name is coming back. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Usually people are yelling, you know, like, Eleanor, get the fuck over here. <laughs> Sammy, what would you do? So if we're saying that, I guess, I mean, Matt brings up a good point because I had wrote that I would have like tossed it. I would have wanted nothing to do with it. The minute I had felt a draw. <laughs> good because, luck. Exactly. I mean, like, I know I have an addictive personality um, and I also know that I'm really fucking superstitious and I would have like totally fallen for its tricks. So I like to think that I would have tossed it just because like I've, you know, have been saying for the last hour, I have given so much credence to objects over my life, whether it be with like sentimentality or if I think they're going to like Mike sleeps next to me every night. I say goodnight Gizmo, goodnight Niffler, like to my fucking stuffed animals and I'm 24 uh, I thought that old. was your Mike's pet names. No, <laughs> he's not Gizmo or Niffler. But his no, balls no, are. Um, but like I, you know make sure to say goodnight to my fucking stuffed animals at 25 years old. So I just, I, I know myself. I know that I would have been way too drawn in um, and would have put all my trust into a inanimate object as I do fairly often. Like, I'm so superstitious that what we were walking in today and you mm -hmm. said, oh, the lady at the toll gave me a $2 bill. And my response to you was, you should keep it because they're good they're lucky, luck. Yeah. And I've kept mine too. But they are good luck. I, I probably would have gotten way too hung up on that cute little safe. And I love that heart-shaped box. So I would have totally pulled a Homer Simpson and been like, a heart-shaped box. And then just like tossed the gun aside and just like played with it for a little bit. But um, SpongeBob does that in an episode too. Oh, really? Yeah, with Patrick. And they like order this big, huge TV. And then they like take the TV out and they just are like stoked that the box is there. They only ordered it for the box. Ooh. Imagination. Imagination. There's, there's not a gun. You're saying there's a TV and they just play with the box. The box, yeah. yeah. That's that's a good gag. It's oh. a great I like idea. the one where the running gag where underwater there's always a fire. You know? And they're yeah. like, you know, SpongeBob, how do we make a fire underwater? And then it goes out you know, or something like that. My, my favorite my favorite Spongebob oh, short is when he comes out of the sand and he's like, what are your overall thoughts? Now we have done all we could do. 
If we've been successful, well and good, there are no problems. But if, on the other hand, this final treatment has not achieved the desired result, please remember, Miss Tyler, that you can still live a long and fruitful life among people of your own kind. Here comes the last of it. I wish you every good luck. Yes, yes, yes. I am so proud of you right now. I knew you were going for it. I wanted you to go for it. You did it. Oh, Uh, Michael Rothman won, folks. That's who won this episode. Yeah, always does. Eleanor, take us away. I have been expecting a gun control episode ever since the comedian when he kept trying to make his point about gun control. Mm, Good point. And this was way better than I would have expected that to be, given how in your face all the other issues have been presented. So I would say that for me, this is a good like four and a half doors because it's so much like a classic episode and it's also new to me and I really appreciate that. Nice. Matt, take it away. It was so not in my face that I didn't even realize it might be about gun control, which again, as we talked about, I love that, that it really was sort of open for people taking it different ways. I had a different reference and illusion, so I took it one way. Other people would watch it a different way. Um, I'm with you. Um, I like the fact then how it was. I like the fact that I think they've really found the pacing with this show. They know how to do a 40-minute show now. Earlier on in this series, I didn't think they did. I love that, um, again, it was aesthetically beautiful. I thought the music, using the music the way they did, both to show kind of his father as a character. We learned so much about his father um, through music. We also see, again, the seduction, and we see him changing through music, which I really liked. So music was sort of its own character and its own sort of catalyst um, in this episode. So, yeah, I um, this took me back to the first couple episodes. Um, I didn't see it as topical. I saw it more as sort of being in one guy's head, one guy's um, you know sort of headspace as he was dealing with something. And I thought it was really well done. I'm going to go with... Um, hmm. Uh, my highest this year was what four and a half last week. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with four for this uh, four doors and uh, again excited to see if I can give next week a five. Mm. We'll seems, see. It seems that we are split. You are a little split here, here. In the zone. We are split. Yeah, and that's yeah, healthy. Go, it's healthy. It, it, it is healthy. healthy. It's, it's a healthy relationship. We got a healthy have. healthy zone. Um. So I had some qualms with this episode. Yeah, you did. Ah! You should have seen me when I finished it. I was like, walked to the bathroom, <laughs> huffing and puffing all smug, you know, like the bed bug in that office episode. Like you were better than that <laughs> episode. <laughs> That's exactly how I sauntered off. But anyways, I feel like while some of the episodes this season have tried to lay their point on a little too thick, this episode was so unsure. I felt like with what it wanted to say um, and like, it, you know, it wasn't awful. I don't I didn't hate hate it. I just didn't really like it <laughs> very much. Um, I thought Chris O'Dowd was awesome. He was probably like my favorite. Like I thought his acting was super believable. He wasn't my issue with the episode. Um, I actually thought there were some scenes where, like especially the backpack scene with the, di- the divorce lawyer, where like he exhibited total I'm a crazy person mm-hmm. behavior. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. um, uh, but... Like like we talked about earlier, I loved the direction of the episode. I agree with you, Matt. I love the music. Jefferson Airplane, I like I love that song. Go Ask Alice is great. Um, I love that we saw him smoking weed too. Like I was you know, I was like, Oh, that's that's I'm glad to see that. You know, on television? in television. Yeah. Like, you know, because you know, it's normal. <laughs> but <laughs> anyways, um 
That being said, I am sorry, but I have to give it two and a half doors. Two and a half. Yeah, that's pretty doors. low. But okay, well, Whew. I'll. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be somewhere in the between. Um, I once again, I thought this is an episode that, just like Sammy said, well shot, well acted. I just felt it didn't really have a true rhyme or reason. I, I think you know, nine episodes in, I get the sense that everyone has a lot to say, and yet very few truly know how to say it um and i thought the execution again writing wise just felt a little bit like uh, my old college days of trying to write an essay right before the night it was turned in <laughs> um so i thought it and, and without actually going into doing revisions uh, i thought that they, they, this could have used a little tightening um and i thought that that really would have hit home a little bit more um but like eleanor stressed uh, i think there's an originality to this one and I think that it speaks to the OG Twilight Zone. And as Matt pointed out, I do think there this aligns more to the earlier episodes than to, say, um, the Meteor uh, one that we're just going to keep uh, throwing on there. Um, but uh, I really love the the use of the the object and the supernatural context. I thought that, you know, Dowd was, was superb. Um, but I thought uh, Morgan's soapbox was a little too flimsy. And by the end, I thought he was kind of pulling some splinters out of his ankles. So I am... <laughs> Given this a 3.25. Wow. Yeah. I'd like to revise mine to four because I was looking through our past scores and I've definitely lowered my standards over the course of the season. Okay. We do with council. We have to decide. Is that allowed? <laughs> it is allowed. <laughs> I'll allow it. Uh, the, qu- quickly uh, back to Eleanor. I do too. I think you should be able to change it. But also I thought maybe this one and the comedian might have been written first. So I think it's funny that, that you're seeing it as like a last minute thing. Oh, no, no. I meant as just like I see, I feel like that's like the case of a lot of episodes throughout the whole season. Mm-hmm. Not, not just so much that like this is li- written like late in the season. I just meant like they a lot of those scripts have just been kind of like cobbled together fast. Sure. Um, not so much like where it was sequentially and all, but um, I mean, I have to say I do, you know, catch myself without knowing what order they were filmed in, mm-hmm. without knowing what order they were written and how they were done and produced. I do catch myself seeing the season like, Oh, they're growing. Oh, they're learning how to do a 40 minute episode for all I know. Again, this could have been the first one written and yeah. some of the later episodes were actually weaker. They're actually falling apart and getting worse um, I, as they go. I don't know how that works. I will say between this week and last week, you pointed this out, Matt. But yeah, the pacing is really there. I, I didn't have a problem with the pacing. And I do really want them to just kind of shave off another five minutes. Give us a 35 mm-hmm. minute episode. I'll give you 35. You know, I, you don't need to take, you know, you don't need to go all the way down to 30, 25 minutes or whatever. But see if you could do a 30, 35 minute episode. And I so think that I guess, would be not, really not to solid. put you on the spot, but like this episode or maybe even last episode, like what could you have shaved off, do you think? I think what you could it? honestly have shaved off a lot of the stuff involving the school. Like I think that you didn't really oh, need yeah, yeah. so much of that, you know? And I don't think it actually serves any sort of purpose for him, so to mm-hmm. speak, other than maybe some context for why he's so, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, three, you had about what, three minutes with a girl explaining yeah. what animism was. Yeah. We, and we already were getting from the episode, we understood this gun sort exactly. of. Exactly. Had a mind of its own. Did we need that to yeah. understand that, okay, this is not your normal gun? That yeah. was, I mean, that was a waste of time. No, that was a joke. And honestly, even like some of the stuff with the lawyer, like you didn't really need to do the first one. You could have just gone to the second one, perhaps. Um, Which you get was that same scene at the school. So probably Exactly. Talk, so, so I think so. that there's some ways that you could, you know, tighten this just a tad. Um, but uh, even then, I mean, this is one of the tighter episodes for this season. I mean, it's not as 
extravagant as some of the ones that we've had in the past few weeks that have just felt like as if they've gone on for a really long time. I think those things are jokes that they wrote in. And and I do think that if it were a shorter episode, Mike, you might be less prone to questioning the mechanics. Like you're more willing to accept it. I agree. It's the same with the comedian where it was atmosphere when they did long shots of him being depressed at home. Mm-hmm. Um, same mm-hmm. thing, except that they're funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well... I can't believe it, but next week is our last episode of the season. And uh, we don't have a title, as I mentioned before, but we have an idea that uh, Seth Rogen is going to be in it. Knocked Up, Long Shot. Ever fi- heard of it? 50-50. Great movies. Um, I love Seth Rogen, so I'm excited to see what his uh, episode is. And I'm really hopeful that he doesn't get uh, too screwed over by the Twilight Zone because I don't want to see Seth Rogen be screwed over. Mm. I like Seth Rogen too much. You love Seth Rogen more than all of us. I love Seth Rogen more than all of us. Yeah, okay. absolutely. He's just a teddy bear. What are you kidding me? Um, no, that's not true. I love everyone uh, in this room and um, okay. across the wire. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I just want to stress, please, 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 please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Podchaser, wherever you can leave reviews, please do. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We have some fresh content from Sammy Kuykendall over here. She is posting all the time, and we'd like to hear from you. So please get that rapport going. We want to know because we would like to take this Twilight Zone even further, um, you know, and we'd like to take this podcast even further into the Twilight Zone um, <laughs> to correct myself there. But, you know, we'd like to do more. So we'd like to hear from you more. So please let us know. Um, and uh, that's it for me. I'd like to thank everyone for... Uh, coming aboard today and talking about this ninth episode we'll be talking about 10th next week but uh until next time keep your eyes on the stars and your feet on the ground and we'll be waiting here in the fifth dimension Consequence Podcast Network.